This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to Talking Dirty episode 23 over at East Ruston Old Vicarage. Looking a little bit like he's glowing as an ember in a fire in orange is Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and ever more handsome horticulturalist. Well, thank you very much and good morning to you too. Uh, over in Cambridgeshire, in, I have to say, a most alluring jumper. <laughs> <laughs> which has something up its sleeve, his daughter's Maria Sophia Friedrichsen. <laughs> Waggling my pom-poms. And I wore well, this say... as a nod to a Christmas jumper, but also because you bought this for me one Christmas. So yes, I, did. I wanted yes, to I did. get my pom-poms out. How crazy was that? <laughs> And joining us, Jeff, I know you well. <laughs> yes, joining us uh, for our, I think our final podcast before Christmas, and in full festive swing is Tamsin Westhorpe. Are you happy to share a, a middle name with us? Oh yes, Mary. Quite can't true. stand it, but it's it's very suitable, isn't it, for festivities? Very Christmassy. So. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, I like Mary. Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow? It's kind of apt. Yes, and I love the fact that Alan's middle name is Herbert because I called my son Herbert and everyone was horrified by it, but I love it. And he gets called Herb, Herbie, Herbaceous, all those things. So Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. I have to say I hated it for a long, long time when I was growing up and I was, you know, you felt self-conscious about such things. But then you get to the stage in your life and you just think, what the heck? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> just embrace it. Um, now, Tamsin, you have so many hats, so many accolades. I've just written them all down. It's like an entire paragraph in my notebook. So we have oh RHS yes. Chair, Co-Chair of the Garden Media Guild, uh, Director of Stocktonbury Gardens, obviously, in, uh, in Herefordshire, host as well of Candy's Fresh from the Pod podcast. So uh, a very successful podcaster as well. And I think the first podcaster to appear on our little podcast. Oh, well, that's rather good fun. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, um, we also know you as the writer of a rather fabulous new book, which is how come you came up on the podcast and why I fired off an email to you to invite you along. And there it is. Look at that. Yeah, <laughs> I was Gardner. so thrilled. It was so exciting to hear Alan, of all people, talking about my little book. It was, yeah, real, really exciting. Fantastic. Well, somebody said to me the other day on, the, on, on some kind of media thing, well, surely you don't need to... to to read a book like this and the answer is yes I do because not only does it um it reminds me of lots of the things I mean for instance um I think you replied to me this uh, on Twitter about this Tams and it reminded me to cut down hazels yes. which I haven't done for several years and I've got them so it's silly not to make use of them but it's also um it's like a kindred spirit talking to another kindred spirit in a funny sort of way it's very silly in some ways but it's I feel now as if I know you although we've not met um, oh. And it was simply due to a few words, words on these pages here. Um, it's been my bedtime reading for a few weeks now. I don't spend a lot of time reading in bed, but there it is. I'm nearly at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it, do you know, it's been absolutely lovely 
lovely because this was a book that sort of happened by mistake and I think why I love it so much is because I wasn't told to write it I wasn't commissioned to write it I just started writing it at the potting bench at Stocktonbury when I'm waiting for people to come in I just jot a few notes down and because I always think I'm never going to remember what happened when and the weather etc and um, I was working for a local publisher helping them with another book sort of PRing another book and they said have you ever written a book and I went well no I've written hundreds of articles and I've I'm writing a silly diary and she said let me have a read and she said I love it keep going so that was just magical and they're a small publisher and they really just let me it's it's so my voice so many of my friends say gosh I can hear you talking to me um you know, it hasn't been sort of really edited or, you know, it's just it's just me and my notes, which I, I think is I think that's what we all need. And I think during this lockdown, people have sort of loosened up about gardening and you just say it how you do it. And, you know, there's no wrong or right, right way, really, is there? No, there isn't. But I tell you what it, it, it does to me. It is your voice speaking to me, to us, to everybody that buys your book or is lucky enough to receive it as a Christmas present because it's going to make a wonderful Christmas present this year, I think. Um, and I think the other thing that it reminds me of, it reminds me of visiting a garden when the garden is gardened by the owners. You know, you can tell, you can sort of feel the kind of, if I say love, that sounds soppy, but you know what I mean? You can feel the person coming through that's telling the tale or making the garden. And I think that it shows enormously. Yeah, and I, I think what I'm really passionate about, and I'm sure you've come across this, Alan, is do people really know what it involves to open a garden? And I think <laughs> they don't. You know, we, we have people arrive and say, oh, I'm not paying to walk around a garden. You know, you do yeah. get those sort of comments. And it's, it's like having a dagger thrown at you, isn't it? Or at the beginning yeah. of the season, April. I, I love this. This happens every year, I guarantee you. We open on April the 1st and people will arrive and they'll get to the entrance and they say, oh, well, of course, Tamsin, you know, Happy New Year, but we won't be coming around the garden yet because it's far too early. And you think, you've spent six months weeding it. There's so much spring interest. And they go and have a piece of cake, which is great. <laughs> but... I mean, I don't get this not going around a garden until May and June. And people want a garden to remain in the summer seasonal year. But, you know, opening a garden, it is one of those things that you get the whole time is, um, well, I thought, I thought 10 quid was a bit steep to go in there, but I've had a lovely afternoon. Thank you. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of thing that happens here quite often. Um, and I think the other thing is that... Um, I don't know, we all see things in different ways, don't we? And, and there are, I mean, we have season ticket holders here and some of them come every week, some of them come once every month or something like that, but they come periodically throughout the season. It, the season ticket is roughly three times the cost of an entrance. So, you know, three to four times and you're in profit and people like a profit, don't forget. <laughs> they <that>. do, they <laughs> do. They do, um, but you know, it's, you have to rise above all of this and these silly comments and everything. And Jill, that's absolutely fine. But we'll look forward to seeing you as and when you decide that you can spare the time to come into the garden. If you can say it with a little bit of a barb, it gives you an enormous amount yeah. of... My, my uncle is really good at it. And I think, damn it, why didn't I come back with that? It, it's experience. I'll get there in the end. I'm far too polite. 
I need to, but I mean, on the flip side, oh gosh, we have some really quite moving things happen when you open a garden and having not been open, you realize that we're worried about some of our visitors because you think, oh gosh, I wonder how so-and-so is. Are, are they still well? Are they still alive? Will they be coming back? You know, we get really connected to people. Um, and one, you know, a couple of things that have, that have really pleased me a few years ago, a guy turned up, a young guy, and he was quite a dude. And I thought, oh, what's he doing here? This is good. We're lowering our average age. And he was carrying a guitar. And I thought, oh, gosh, what's happening here? And he said, would you mind if I just sat in the garden and quietly played my guitar? And I thought, how blooming fabulous. You know, I thought that was just great. And then I have another woman that comes in and she's 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 great. Larger than life comes in and takes her shoes off and puts them on my potting bench and walks off into the garden barefoot. And I love that. That's that. You, we need that. That's great. So I'm all for these quirky people that use the garden in a different way. It's not just quirky people that, that, that use the garden in a different way, because so many people I've noticed, they come and they're not that interested, perhaps in the garden. They, they tell themselves maybe they are, but it is the snoop factor. I mean, it's the fact yeah. that they want to see yeah. what you've got, how you live, how you dress. If they can get a quick look through your windows, if the curtains are drawn back and, and you know, just see how what you've got in the house and everything else, it's wonderful. I mean, I have enormous fun when people walk past the orangery, no curtains, but they can see through the windows into the kitchen beyond that. And I stand still in the kitchen and they can't see me. The moment I move, you should see them shoot away from the window and point down at the floor as if they're looking at something, you know, <laughs> entirely different. <laughs> but but we're think, all guilty of it. We all do it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the great thing. I think you're right. Um, Thordis is thinking, my goodness, I didn't know so much to this opening garden lark. <laughs> but when um, we first opened the garden, um, I mean, I was a young, a young person then, and my grandmother lived in the house, and my uncle opened the garden, and she wasn't allowed to hang washing on the line. I remember vividly the arguments. Like, oh, for goodness sake, I need to dry my clothes. And it was like, no. <laughs> with the chickens weren't allowed anymore to wander in the garden. The other things that happened were, we would be having Sunday lunch as a family, and then you'd see all these faces at the window, <laughs> like you say, peering in. It's, I mean, it's a mad thing to do really, isn't it? But, you know, we obviously <laughs> love it. We, we yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do love the idea of people attempting to emulate how you dress, though, Alan. I should let them know it is inimitable. They're, they're, <laughs> they're not going to have much luck with that. Um, no, but I mean, they could, choose, they could choose to be entirely different, couldn't they? And, and, you know, drape themselves in sackcloth and ashes with, I don't know, a few flowers in the hair or something stupid. Give <laughs> themselves the pom-poms. Um, obviously, loads of people listening to this will know all about your garden, Tamsin. But yeah. for those who are, you know, scattered all over the world or maybe, you know, know Alan's garden very well in Norfolk but haven't been over to Herefordshire, um, paint a picture for us. Tell us a bit about it. Obviously, there's a huge amount of family history tied into it. Yeah. Um, Needed to. Can I ask first of all one thing, Tamsin? What's your rainfall, your annual rainfall? Oh gosh, I do you know I've never measured it, but it's massive. We, we just have far too much rain. It's yeah. sodden, and we're on 
clay so yes it's it's definitely we're not short of rain um but the garden's been in my family since about 1886 where my great 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 grandfather he was a tenant farmer and it was part of the Barrington Hall estate which you can still visit which is over the road from us which is National Trust and that was owned by Lord Rodney and he was a bit of a gambler and I think he had to sell off farms quick so my great great grandfather rushed to the Green Dragon in Hereford to put a bid in on the farm when he was only a sort of mere tenant farmer and I think because it was so desperate to get some coffers in the bank he managed to get the farm so that was fantastic so that's how we ended up there um, and but the interesting thing about Stockton Brew we've got a 400 acre farm and the garden's at the heart of it and it was um, a monastic farm. So we've got some lovely things like a dovecot, a tithe barn. It's got some really historic um, buildings. Um, the lovely thing is that the garden actually is, is new. It's really my uncle and his partner, Raymond and Gordon, they've created the garden. Originally, there was just a main lawn that my great, great grandfather put down. He planted a monkey puzzle tree as a status symbol, I think. It's like, hello, I'm here, that tree is. Um, but it's really my uncle, uh, Raymond, and his partner, Gordon, who have created the garden in my lifetime. Um, it was just a, a big vegetable patch before, lots of potatoes, nothing decorative at all. So they are the plants and they've really gone for it. And they were very, very friendly with Christopher Lloyd and Beth Chatto. Um, and they've just had great fun and they've created a garden that they love, we all love. And it was never intended to open. Um, there's some quite quirky little features in it. And I think that's why it works because it's, you yeah. know, Alan will know this, you, your garden is is yours. You know, we're not creating a sort of a parkland. Yeah. We're creating, or we're looking after somebody's home and somebody's passion. So that's really where the garden comes from. And I would describe it as a plantsman's garden. It's a collection of all the things that they found along their way. Um, and I, it's funny now, cause I've joined them. I go to shows and I come back with a plant and go, oh, and they say, oh, you idiot, you silly girl. We grow, it won't grow here, you know? And I think, but I need to find out for myself. So it's quite yeah. funny that we sort of, I'm going over old ground with them. They're very tolerant of me, you know, <laughs> Because uh, they must think, oh, you're wasting your time with that. But, you know, it's gardening, isn't it? It's what we all do. Yes. It's interesting that we had Val on and she obviously knows so many of the stories behind plants. Val Bourne knows the sort yeah. of the history behind them. Um, and obviously the stories that plants tell, some of them are, you know, their discovery and that kind of side of things. But also there's the personal stories. Have your, has your uncle, have, have they managed to kind of pass those stories down to you where the plants yeah. come from have you got yes. all of that stored up in your brain yeah it's quite difficult because you know they don't mention it and then a couple of years later they'll say oh yes when we got that from Dixter and you think why didn't you tell me that <laughs> I mean there's a hilarious story about a euphorbia Dixter which we've got lots of in the garden and uh, Gordon was saying to me that they, Christo gave them a piece and it was a really, really hot day. And they stopped apparently on the way home. They saw a puddle and, and they, they sort of 
stopped and got some water, put this thing in some mud to get it home. I mean, it's madness, but it's all quite fun. You think, I love this. Um, you know, and there's, there's just some lovely stories. Also, my uncle was, late uncle was John Treasure of Burford House Gardens. So a lot of the plants came from him and they spent a lot of their time there. And I started my gardening career there. So I love stories about plants that came from him because I remember him so well. And he, boy, he was a character. I remember Graham and I had to go down to um, Kidderminster in actual fact. And I went off to Burford House on my own while Graham was doing whatever he had to do in Kidderminster. Yeah. And I was in John's garden and he came and spoke to me. And we had, the most, he was so kind. He was such a nice man. We had the most, um, most lovely, enjoyable, I suppose, probably an hour's conversation, which I'm sure an hour he could ill spare one with somebody when, as I was then quite young. Um, but his, his name always reminds me of a tale of, I think there was him and Christo and Christo's mama. They were out visiting yeah. a garden somewhere and they were both mad keen on clematis, as you know. And they aspired, I think it may have been even in an RHS garden, but they aspired a clematis growing that neither of them had got. And I think Christo related the story something like this. Well, um, mother kept Cady as I did the deed and we put it into John's bag very quickly. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it was the kind of story of them nicking a bit, shall we say. And, and they did. And, and it grew and it prospered. And I just thought, yeah. how funny. <laughs> but, but do you know what's so lovely? You, you'd love this. Is um, they've got lots of gardening books at, at Stocktonbury that belong to, to John and uh, mm. you can be flicking through them and then a letter will fall out and it's from Beth Chatto or Christo. Yeah. You think, you know, to my uncles, you know, Beth and, and Christopher Lloyd, they were just friends. They don't yeah. see them as like these, you know, um, you know, we're like, oh, God, let me look at the letter, you know, but to them, they're just a <laughs> private letter that they happen to have. But, I, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I remember Christopher Lloyd coming to Stocktonbury when I was really about 16, 17, and I was wearing a ghastly purple jumper. I mean, it was, you know, nearly, no, the Thordis is not quite as bright as that, but this, mine was really as purple as you could be. And I remember Christo saying, oh, I do love your jumper. And I had no idea who he was. And I thought, who would like this jumper? <laughs> And actually, it was then I really, you know, a couple of years later, I thought, oh, that was Christopher Lloyd. So I kept that jumper. It's, it's in a moss-proof bag in my wardrobe just because of that one comment. Madness. <laughs> i tell you, one of, the things I one of the things I remember from Burford House was the fact that John, and I'm sure this is very difficult to do successfully, but John used to grow climbing or even maybe rambler, but I think definitely climbing roses on the flat. And he used to take the, I mean, I don't know whether you remember this, and also with clematis too, he used to train them um, so that they pegged them along uh, the ground. I mean, it, it must be a, do you remember that? Um, I can't remember the roses. I do remember him growing clematis in the most amazing ways. Uh, we, we can't grow them along the ground at Stocktonbury because the vol we've got too many well, I, voles. I could never understand how the heck it was possible to keep the ground weed free. When you're growing the, I mean, you know, you're training, climbing roses with thorns and things on the yeah. flat and pegging them down as you go and then working a clematis through them. How the heck do you keep it weed free? I don't know. But I mean, it was an interesting you send your, I, I... You send your 16 year old niece down to clear the weeds. That's what you do. <laughs> <laughs>
it's interesting that um, obviously your whole relationship with plants and with gardening started very young. I mean, you say being sent down at 16 to weed, but weeding, we all know, is actually quite a precise art, knowing what to weed. So yeah. obviously, if you were being sent at quite a young age to weed, you already had a real good uh, knowledge of, of what tiny little plants were. Yeah, I mean, actually, I have to say I've said in many garden talks that I do that John Treasure taught me how to weed and people think what do you mean you don't need to be taught how yeah, to weed yeah. but gosh he taught me how to weed so I'd spend the morning on a border and he would come along and sort of point his stick and you know it was never good enough and I get that now because I've turned into that person you know <laughs> and you, you you know weeding if you're growing a lot of plants and it's got to be perfect it's so important to know what these tiny little weeds look like as they emerge. And it is, it is an art form weeding correctly, I think. So yeah, I've spent a few years doing it now. <laughs> it's a great, i tell you one thing, another way of looking at weeding is, it's a great waste of money if you don't know how to weed, because you're digging up lots of self-sown plants which are worth money and whether they're worth money that you where you physically actually sell them. If you have a, a plant stand or a table when you open your garden, you could put them on there and sell them or you could give them away or you could plant them in your own garden and make more of what you have. But it is, you know, it's a great waste if you don't know how to do it properly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm always looking for free plants. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, me too. Um, it, it, the, the You're talking about all of these sort of fantastical stories, Christopher Lloyd, Beth Chateau. But I mean, you are, I suppose when you're living it, it's hard to, to appreciate it, but you're kind of continuing that tradition because you're so well connected and you're such a sort of front runner of the horticultural world. Um, that actually, I suppose, really, any anybody who follows you could easily have the same same kind of idea about you and the people you know it, it is um it's so lovely of you to say and I would never dare to be anything you know like them but it's I am actually this year since having the book it's been lovely to have contact with people I think that's what the book has bought me although I see people a lot at the garden you know I've had lovely messages from people um, especially on social media, you know, I've had nurses saying, I bought your book during the pandemic and it's just taken me to the countryside. And people have said they loved the fact that I mentioned farming in it and it reminded them of their childhood. Um, and that's been really, really special to me, I think. And I wrote the book for my dad in memory of my dad, who um, I lost in my early 20s. And to create a book that actually people have enjoyed so much, he would just love that. So that, that's, that's been really joyous, actually. But you never, um, when you're at Stocktonbury, my uncles will never let me get big headed. They're only really happy when I'm pushing a, a broom. So yeah, don't worry about me. <laughs> uh, there's only so far I can go. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm really impressed that you managed to find the time to write the book, because as we've seen, it's not like it's a little thin pamphlet. There's this, this big book that's absolutely full of information. And yet, obviously, you are incredibly busy, um, not only with yeah. the garden, but as I mentioned at the beginning, like all these other roles that you have. I think I'm quite hyper, if I'm <laughs> honest. <laughs> um, I don't like sitting down. I'd probably drive my 
my family absolutely to drink. Like last week, I said to them, I've had a really great idea. Let's have a mistletoe sale for charity. And then I can see them going, oh, no, what's she doing now? <laughs> Next thing, we're all up trees. We've all got barrows. I'm bunching and we're standing in the cold on Sunday selling it. It's just it's just the way I am. I love I love to try things and I just think it's all such good fun. I feel a bit bad actually, because I know Alan doesn't have an awful lot of it at East Ruston. Wherever I go in Cambridgeshire, everything seems to be festooned in mistletoe. And obviously you've got quite a lot as well, Tamsin. We have, um, we've got two cider orchards on the farm um, and we've got plenty there, but also we're not far from Tembury Wells, which is like, the center of the universe when it comes to mistletoe. There's normally a, a mistletoe market, auctions, florists come and buy. Um, so it is, yeah, we're dripping in it, <laughs> but it's beautiful. I love it. I have to say, I have a real fondness for it. It reminds me of home and we've always used it as a decoration in the house. So yeah, I've, I've got a little bunch here so we can have little air kisses. <laughs> Do you know what's made me quite sad oh, wow. is that a lot of people, a lot of people have said, oh, you don't need it this year because we can't kiss. And I think, well, yes, but surely we should be using natural decorations. We're living with our families. Come on, guys. Get the mistletoe yes, come up. On. But what I love the seasonality? That. And I went to um, a tour of a beautiful haunted house. I took my son and my husband on a private tour of Helen's Manor in Herefordshire. It's really spooky, but beautiful. It's a Tudor property. And they decorated with it. And the lady there was telling us that in the Tudor times, it was a time where everyone was really drunk and joyous and whatever. And the women of the time used to take mistletoe berries as a contraceptive for the Christmas period. I mean, I'm surprised they're still alive. I mean, it's, dead, it's poisonous. I thought that was just fabulous. <laughs> I thought, well, they wouldn't get pregnant because they'd probably be dead. But anyway, so yes, I do love my mistletoe. <laughs> what other bits of show and tell have you brought along? I know you've got various things right. by your screen. I know my desk is, it's an old dining room table covered in all sorts of bits and bobs. Now this, this is a clematis. I can never say it right. Um, Rederiana, oh, R-E-H, yes. yeah, R-E-H-D-E-R-I-A-N-A. -E and it's on our shed at Stocktonbury. It's got little tiny bells of sort of green flowers and it has been gorgeous. And it needs, it's in group three, so it needs pruning sort of February time. And I, I wouldn't want to prune it now. Look at these lovely little seed heads. It's an absolute joy, this clematis. So I thought if anyone wants to cover a wall, a shed, it grows in any aspect. So this is against the north facing wall. I think it's it's absolutely a must have. I'm so excited. I'm so excited that you've talked about this because I really want it, but I was a bit worried about my clay because I'm on clay like you. Yeah. So is it, is it okay in your clay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's going mad. Uh, you, if you don't cut, if you don't prune it, you can't get into the shed. I've had to clip clip a hole to get into the shed several times this year. We've got one of those growing on one of our chicken runs, and the chicken runs have a, a, a so shall we say, a four foot chestnut paling fence around it, um, and uh, 
I, I thought, well, it'll reach the top, I suppose. Reach the top? Come on, guys. We prune this hard <laughs> back every year to about six inches in spring. In yeah. early spring, February, as you say, Tamsin. And it just goes for it. And it and that's the one thing I would warn you, Thunder, is that it is a very vigorous plant. Yeah. And as, as it gets older, it'll get bigger and better um, if you've got the space yeah. for it. It's it's a winner. And the other thing, I've stolen this from my uncle's Alpine house. That I wonder if they'll miss it. So this is a hepatica that they ah. got from their friend John Massey. And I'm never going to say this right. This is my favourite one. It's Yama, Yamatutia. And it's got white flowers in February and a green centre. And look, it's got these brilliant buds in the middle waiting. So... Yeah, those will be an absolute treat. So that's been stolen. It's got to go back or I should be in trouble. <laughs> and then do you want my last show in town? Yes. I could have bought you, you know, I could have bought the whole garden in. Right, my last one is a particular favourite that we have at Stocktonbury. Um, now this is um, Diasia personata. I don't know if you can see it. And this is the, the um, foliage. And it's got these square stems. It's really quite unusual. And it grows really well in Herefordshire. And this has been flowering since June and it's still flowering. Um, it's for a sunny spot, well-drained if you can. And we don't cut it back because it's a perennial, but it's not incredibly hardy. So we leave it shaggy, as we call it, for the winter. And then I'll sort of tidy it up before we open, cut some stems off. But it's absolutely, oh, value for money. It's beautiful. I do agree with you there. That is a fantastic plant. And of course, with us, with our light soil and our, should we say, shortage of frost, um, here it's, yeah. it is quite hardy and it grows very, very well. So good is it that when I was going through the propagating house the other day, I was moving, you know, trays around and, and from, from weaning them off the warm bench onto an ordinary bench and so on and so forth. And I had some space and I thought, now what can I fill this space with? Because I can't bear it if, this, if the propagating house is not earning its money. And so, <laughs> and so I went back. And I went into the garden and I took another 20 cuttings of Diasia personata because I thought, well, you know, you never have too That's much of it. Wonderful. Exactly. Mm. No, it's a brilliant plant. I mean, the only fault it has is that it can snap. If you put it too close to a path and it gets knocked, these square stems bend very quick. So put it slightly further back where you're not going to knock it. But no, that that's my my limited show and tell. I could have bought you a million things, but I thought, no, come on. Be restrained. Don't be greedy. <laughs> I mean, restraint is not something we're overly familiar with on this podcast, but thank you for bringing uh, it. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> and the diacy, you said it um, it likes to be well-drained and obviously you've got your clay soil. So do you do anything extra to it or do you just sort of... Put it um, well, we're always improving the soil. We have got some raised beds, some areas of the garden that are raised and that's where we it grows really well. Um, and the wall along the bottom of the kitchen garden is, is well drained. So we just got to keep improving the soil. Um, and it, it seems to be fine with us. It does seem to cope. So thankfully. See, I'm particularly interested because that's my flomo. I wrote it down, inspired by seeing it in the uh, shots that you put up on Instagram from Stocktonbury. Really? Um, 
Well, it, it just, it looked, I think because you kind of implied it was this good doer and it flowered for such a long time. In a, I have a tiny suburban garden. I'm always looking for things that will give and give. And also you, you described it as big billowing mounds and I'm a big fan of big billowing mounds. <laughs> so yes. I, I no, wanted to... I might have to put it in my raised bed because it might it might resent my claggy soil, which I'm still desperately trying to improve. But it sounded wonderful. So I, I I'm really I'm excited you brought it along as one of the things you wanted to show off because it kind of puts it even higher yes. on my, my list of Flomo. Um, for anyone who's who's listening or watching and somehow hasn't come across Flomo before. It's a feeling we're all familiar with. It's that sort of fear of missing out you get when you see a plant that you want to grow in your own garden and you haven't got yet. Tamsin, what's yours? Oh gosh, do you know, because I spent a lot of time working in Bournemouth Parks Department where there is no frost and that you know the weather is so much better, um, I really miss um, cannas. I mean, I know they're not hugely unusual, but we, you know, you could leave them outside in Dorset and they come up again, like massive, great big things. And I'm desperate to grow them. I just miss that sort of tropical foliage. Um, so I am going to invest this year. I'm going to give them a go. And um, yeah, I just, I just want that sort of bananas and, you know, I just, yeah, I just want that holiday feeling. So yes, definitely going to invest in some canners. Alan, obviously you've got loads of stuff like that at East Ruston. Tropical, yeah. exotic. Yes, well, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, my Flomo is, uh, do you remember, do you remember um, years ago, the RHS used to put on shows at the Westminster Halls. Um, mm. And they, I think they used to be Tuesday and Wednesday of the week. And I often used to go up early on a Tuesday morning. Um, and the main reason for that was going up and being one of the first through the doors. And the first thing I used to do is I used to go around, look at all the stalls and look at what they got for sale. Never mind about the plants they're exhibiting. I just wanted to see what they got for sale because they have limited quantities. And, you know, I was still expanding the garden here and getting new plants. Um, and then they had a, um, an occasion where the Glasnevin Botanic Garden put on, an, uh, put on a stand. They didn't have anything for sale, but they put on this stand of plants that were growing in the Botanic Garden at Glasnevin in Ireland. And I remember seeing there a double-flowered cream nasturtium. Now, I don't know whether you're familiar with um, double-flowered nasturtiums, but they are sterile. They don't make seeds, so you have to vegetatively, I got it out, vegetatively <laughs> propagate them. <laughs> Try saying that when you've had a drink, it's very difficult. Anyway, um, we've got Hermione Grassoff, we've got Darjeeling Gold, which I think is rather too vigorous for me. Um, and we have one called Margaret Brown, which is a soft sort of orange color. Um, but this cream one, there was no label on it. I couldn't find out. There was nobody there to ask. I couldn't find out what it was called. So if anybody anywhere from Alaska to <laughs> South America, if you know where there is a cream flowered, uh, cream double flowered nasturtium, East Ruston Old Vicarage, we'd love to be the custodian of a plant of it. Um, it just filled me with delight and do you know it's one of those times when I stood outside opposite this plant and there was a rope and then a gap and then the stand and how I my hand wanted to creep out and just <gasps> naughty <laughs> but I didn't I rather wish I had perhaps now <laughs> never seen it since um, I tried I tried getting in contact with the Glasnevin Botanic Garden but to no avail I'm afraid 
Oh, that double nasturtium. So Brilliant. Hermione Grassoff is probably the only one I really know. And it's such a little treasure. Well, I first came in contact with, at another great garden um, in, in Wales. It was, it was Powers Castle. Um, and there was a wonderful man there who used to be the head gardener called Jimmy Hancock. And Jimmy had, he used to grow the most wonderful half hardies and subtropical looking plants. And in the, in, in the wall, there are two sort of niches with very important terracotta vases in them. And he used to fill these with tropical planting. And I remember seeing Hermione Grasshoff tumbling out of this vase and hanging down. You know, we'd be used to things like trailing lobelia and plants like that. And this red thing with double flowers just looked so exotic. It was better than any begonia. And I mean, it is such a wonderful thing. Um, you know, it's, it's just pure excitement, isn't it? It is. I had one a long time ago and I've lost it. So that there you go. I can add that to Diasia on my Flomo list. You better put that on the Russell Old Vicarage list because I think I've got a list. Well, I've got, I know I've got um, Dixter Orange for you. Yeah. Um, there may be one or two other things as well. So you better start that list and get it over to me um, by email and then we'll keep it updated. I've got, I've got like a holding pen of plants at East Ruston Old Vicarage, Townsend. <laughs> I love that. That sounds fabulous. Great. <laughs> Before we wind things up, obviously we're we're right on the cusp of Christmas, and you've got your little Christmas yeah. tree there, and I've gone full yeah. full kitsch with tinsel tastic staircase. Yeah. I know Alan's not the biggest fan of tinsel. I've almost done it in your honour, Alan. Um, but you know, have you got any things on your wish list for Christmas? Are you hoping for? Uh, I mean, obviously we're hoping everyone gets your book for Christmas. Yes, well, of course. Um, now, what would I like for Christmas? Oh gosh, I, I'm as Alan will know if he's read my book. I'm really into thermal underwear. And the other day, I put on my son's. Um, what do they call it? A skin that you wear for rugby. <gasps> it's fantastic. <laughs> and I wore it all day, and you could barely prize it off me. I've got to get some of that kit. That sort of rugby underlayer. That's what I want for gardening. That's on top of my list. Um, and everyone's talking about this tool, the Hori Hori, which is like a big knife thing. And I haven't got one of those. That's on so my list. Be, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not sure if I, you know, it's, it's funny with tools, isn't it? The one tool that I use that should be on people's Christmas list is, is really bizarre. You know, those long handled wolf tools that you lock the different bottoms in. Yeah. So you buy one handle. I've got a little rake. So it's just a little hand rake and where you lock it into the handle, I use that to dig my dandelions out. So I never have it on a big handle. That is my absolute, I love that tool. So I could do with another one of those because I will lose it this year, it's a given. <laughs> um, oh gosh, what else? And I wouldn't mind, um, I'd really like some house plants, but the problem is, this house is either really hot because of the fires or absolutely freezing. And I've got a fern behind me, but I don't think, I think I might be wasting my money on them. It's, it's really just, that's the difficult thing about having a very old house. It's never sort of consistently, uh, you know, of a temperature where house plants will thrive. So I think one thing you should think, as long as they don't freeze, they'll probably be okay. And it's, it's a matter of watering, isn't it? If they're not too wet, and they're yeah. cold or cool, they should be all right. Have, do you grow clivias? Yes, but not, we've got them at Stocktonbury. 
Yeah, but they should grow quite well in your house because they tolerate low light levels. As long as they don't freeze, they'll be fine. They might flower a little bit later, but that doesn't matter. When everybody else has finished, you can say, yes, but look at mine. <laughs> well, I might, I might give that a go. God, I hope they don't freeze in the house. That will just show you. Look, I'm, I've got a blanket on my legs. And before I came on, I took my bubble hat off. That's what I'm living like. But it's all an adventure. <laughs> Well, thank you, Tamsin. It's been such a, a treat to hear all about Stocktonbury and the book. We didn't even get to talk about half the other things you do. So you'll have to come back uh, with more show and tell. No, oh, it's been lovely. <laughs> yeah, it's been lovely. Lovely of you to have me. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Merry Christmas. Have a lovely Christmas. Yes. And you too. Air kisses to you both. One, one, one. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, 4Ds here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.